save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. My guest today is Chris Searles, a uniquely interesting man. Chris went from a highly successful music career as a drummer with some of the biggest bands, but decided along the way he needed to follow the beat of a much bigger drum, the biointegrity of our earth, and tackle solutions to climate change. Along the way, he realized that our money-oriented culture here in the U.S. was not the defining definition of success, so he decided to redefine it. Chris started up the company and project BioIntegrity, whose mission is to help the most powerful solutions to today's global environmental challenges succeed as rapidly as possible, and a host of solutions there are. But to get to that, we need to back up a bit and learn what BioIntegrity means, what affects it, where the hotspots are that need intensive focus, and how we get there and get involved. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Ellie. It's nice to have you here. We've been uh, talking for quite some time, and you're a very creatively thinking man. From the moment oh, we, be- yeah, from the moment we began conversing, we found ourselves incredibly like-minded and thinking yeah. outside the box. You know, right. in, in fact, I think you, you left the box altogether. <laughs> so um, why don't we start today by you giving us some background about yourself and how you went from being an all-star musician that led you to Climate Solutions. Okay, awesome. Um, and I, I really, really appreciate that generous <clears throat> introduction. And um, talking about rede- redefining success... Um, I would just sort of tease out that maybe the big theme in thinking about how we approach, you know, this podcast or interview conversation rather, um, is that idea of re-envisioning the earth as, as a biosphere, which is of course what it is, but we just don't have that construct really anywhere that I can see in sort of the the lexicon of civilization. So, I mean, Uh, we go, we go from E.O. Wilson you know, the father of biodiversity. And right. um, so when you say re-envision, are you saying, like, look at it in our minds as this floating blue ball in space or as as opposed, as opposed to just constantly saying, oh, the Earth? Yeah, I think there, I mean, so I, I, I can't wait to get into this more. Or we can go, get into it as much as we want to now, but... Um, I think there are two Earths, effectively. There's the Earth that is just a planet like any other planet. It's not that special. That's what happens if the biosphere goes away. And then there's the Earth that we refer to as the Earth, which is actually this biosphere, this miracle of you know the system of living systems that makes it possible for civilization to exist at all, makes it possible for humanity to exist at all. And that system of living systems, just like our own bodies, is you know, constantly in a state of evolution and um, so on and so forth. But if the biosphere goes away, then everything living goes away. And I I know we know that, but at the same time, I think our our conversation about success, our conversation about the environment and sort of everything else has to begin with re-envisioning the earth as a biosphere and that that's um, a... You know, a it's, one-time only deal. That's it's a the, language shift. Um, I believe right. Monbiot had talked about this in one of his articles that we need a new language to talk right. about our living systems because it's getting very blasé, ubiquitous, and losing its meaning. Right. And, oh. and I think, you know, and, and one more sort of headline element on all that to me um, about this conversation is that Earth's biointegrity, which we'll talk about, is is the number one priority for humanity, for civilization, uh, as long as we're on Earth, you know, come what may. If the planet warms 4 degrees Celsius, if the planet warms 1.5 degrees Celsius, um, whatever we find ourselves dealing with, we know that planet Earth can sustain life um, when it's a lot hotter. The, the danger here is that we're destroying the biosphere 
super rapidly and we're causing it to heat up super rapidly. And so we're going to kind of knock the the, li- the living systems off of the planet and destroy the biosphere itself. Which is but, what we're doing already. So let's, right. let's back up a bit. So you yeah. were a drummer. You right. were a musician and a very successful mm-hmm. one at that. So when, and, and not so long ago. So where did you come along in your personal biosphere to realize that you needed to do something different? <laughs> that's what I can't figure out, and that's why I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about my story real fast. Um, you know, so when we spoke yesterday, I, I was a little concerned about the self-indulgence on that, but but I think it's really interesting um, to look at a story because I'm so committed to this this work that I'm doing now more than anything I've ever done. You know, viscerally, financially committed, and and I wonder why um, more people aren't like you. Uh, aren't like me, aren't more concerned about ecosystems and biosphere issues. But I also, you know, I kind of am curious about my story because I want to understand why I have different priorities um, just in general. Um, And, and, you know, what about my story helped me understand other people? So anyway, so I grew up in Austin and um, I grew up in a a pretty ideal um, setting that led to becoming a musician as a and an environmentalist. I was surrounded, you know, Austin has today 30% tree cover and around 2 million people in the greater area, uh, which is pretty extraordinary, especially in Texas. Um, but the the energy and the personality of Austin is a very um, altruistic and inclusive community that's really about music and food and, and so on and so forth. And, and so I got to play, um, as a kid, I got to play music with a lot of the best musicians in town just because they were friendly people. And I think that element is also really um, interesting in terms of biointegrity because one of the things I think we have to really um, get serious about is, is how we treat each other and treat ourselves if we're going to solve these environmental problems. And, that, and it kind of comes before, unfortunately, solving the environmental problems. I agree with uh, you. We've, you know, yeah. we've gotten to this point today where we live through devices and, you know, mm-hmm. as great as it is that the earth is flat in the sense that we're so connected, we've isolated ourselves. Right. So, so this social community becomes collectivism rather than activism. Yes. And, and one thing that's great about being a musician and, and being from a very musical community is the, the separation is non-existent. The, the musical the, the identity of a musician is, you know, to connect with other musicians. You've got to kind of be open to that um, friendly, spiritually connected thing if you're going to make good music together most of the time. Well, you know? I think you just said it right there. Connection. So, right. And, and, you know, connecting that to your previous statement, if we aren't connected to each other physically and within each, each other's rhythm, and right. finding rhythms that we relate to, then we're sort of cut off from Absolutely. that bigger picture. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think, um, so a lot of people don't go to work and practice making music together, you know. They might um, be involved in any number of other team kind of experiences, but the, the music... Uh, identity is that that's really what you're you're seeking and so forth. So that, I think that's interesting in terms of the way I uh, kind of relate to the world around us. That I'm I'm maybe more interested in how other people are feeling than some people, or how the you know the other living creatures are feeling. That there's just more of an awareness of that or sensitivity. Um, well, I think the, it's we we mentioned it yesterday um, that it's more about frequency and harmony. Not right. harmony in living with each other, but harmonics, vibrating, mm-hmm. you know, reaching each other and vibrating. And if if we're all so busy, let's say, working from home on the computer mm-hmm. or in a cubicle, these walls and these devices are putting up a lot of interference to the, the hum that can connect us. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were talking about... Um, this very new research that, that at least new to me research that shows that, um, excuse me, that bumblebees 
vibrate at a certain frequency that releases pollen from certain flowers. Um, you know, and it's just that way, apparently, across the, the spectrum of bees, at least, in, in terms of pollination. So it Trans- acts a lot like light. Yeah, like light, like a tuning fork, um, like a, a good uh, guitar riff, you know, something that really um, shakes you up, literally. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense coming from a musical, especially drumming, which is, carries the beat of yeah. the drum and the bass is what carries the beat for the rhythm and the vocals. So yeah. this seems to make a lot of sense to me, and it's a very interesting story coming at it from that perspective. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners out there that are musicians. And you know, right. when, we, when exactly. we stop to take and put on the headphones and, or just, for me, it's Latin rhythm guitar, I just start to sway. And <laughs> um, when I do that, it makes me feel better. And when we feel better, we start doing things that make everything better. And I mm-hmm. think what happens today is we get stuck in this vibe of stress, tension, and disconnection. So, um, you know, we've got a whole lot to talk about today. And um, from how we prioritize, empower, expand uh, the successes of those doing the best protection and restoration work today mm-hmm. for the long term. And we have to do it fast. So why don't we um, segue here uh, for the rest of this first section here. We've got a couple minutes and just start highlighting the key point that you're going to address that, that bio-integrity is. <laughs> well, actually, the, so we didn't... Your company. Yeah. We didn't, you and I didn't get a chance to talk about this much yesterday, but I'm actually transitioning slightly um, from being 100% focused on tropical forests. Um, I still, uh, so biointegrity is about um, <clears throat> understanding that there's a biological core to our planet where the majority of life support systems are produced. Um, it's also about understanding that the body is, just like the human body is a system of living systems, so is the planet. Um, and there have been these radical, incredible, hard to believe changes just in the last couple of, and, and four decades uh, and over the last couple of hundred years, because of the population swings and the, this, this rebalancing of humanity versus ecosystems and biodiversity and so forth. Um, so, and so looking at how to address that leads to the biggest climate solutions uh, and the most fundamental, you know, again, back to sort of the, the beginning, the most fundamental aspects of how we just sustain life itself on this planet. And so they become the most essential solutions to the climate challenge that we have um, that actually are unfortunately even more urgent than the the climate problems that we're dealing with. And so then I have a a sort of a prioritized um, way based on all this scientific uh, study that, um, you know, points to where the priorities should be based on where the, the greatest biospheric value is or the greatest biological value is on the planet. And that's what we're working on is trying to get awareness there make that awareness ubiquitous and um, get people to, as you said, support the organizations that are already doing the best work um, on protecting and restoring and, and maintaining those places. Okay. So you said you were very focused on the rainforests and, right. you know, we, we hear a lot about how important the rainforest is, that it's the lungs, the breathing lungs and the, and the, the water, the beginning of the blood flow of the planet. There's this great Nat Geo map or NASA map that shows the entire ecosystems, what happens in the rainforest and it breathes and it passes its moisture on through clouds and how it all functions together. And one thing that lights up in my brain when you talk about this is we humans seem to continue to think we are separate from this bio-integrity system and we're not. We right. are a part of it, and yet we can, <coughs> excuse me, continue to go about acting as if we can separate these two. Right. And and I think we've actually built civilization on that premise that we're dis that we are disconnected, um, and that's what you know the forgotten memory, the theme we were talking about um, yesterday. That's what that is a really a reference to that. Um, 
when I give presentations, I show a series of slides of indigenous people that are still basically living 100% off of the, the ecosystems that they're on, the wildernesses that they're in, uh, and say, you know, these people have never forgotten that they rely 100% on other living things to have a life. And, you know, the, the sort of summation of the indigenous worldview has been said to be that they cosmologically and uh, physically or materialistically, they, they understand that um, the earth is a system or the, you know, the, the world is an ecosystem and you can take humans out of that system and the system will be fine. But if you take away the system, right, what do humans have left? And, um, and so the... <clears throat> This idea of um, protecting these systems um, is is the fundamental, I think, kind of breakthrough for the the thinking on uh, climate change and and so forth. That we just we we've had some of these um, big picture views for a long time, but you know the forgotten memory is is reminding us that we 100% of our oxygen comes from other living things. Effectively, 100% of our food comes from other living things. The majority of the water that we drink is filtered through other living things, whether it's you know soil or vegetation, um, and so on and so forth. The climate system is heavily uh, influenced by the ecosystems on our planet and their health and stability. And, and in Biointegrity, the project, I use this meme that ecosystems are Earth's vital organs. I and like that. I like yeah. that. I think so, that kind of gets to the point. Okay, so, you know, if this is a really good time to step away for a break, and when we come back, I would really like to talk a little bit more about that forgotten memory, because I think it's critical that our listeners hear this and hopefully listen to some good music while they tune in. So stick mm-hmm. with us, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. You're listening to Our Wild World with my guest, Chris Searles. And we're talking about biointegrity. And uh, we left the last section off 
talking about this common denominator that connects us all, the biosphere Earth, and looking at it as a, a synchronicity and serendipity of living systems, not just this thing that we use to provide everything we need for life. We have to start looking at it differently. And Chris, you brought up a really important, and it resonated with me in talking about harmonics and frequency, the Mm -hmm. forgotten memory, that we need to reawaken this memory in ourselves and how that makes us feel and wash it through our systems so that we can look at this biosphere that supports us in a different way. Right. So let's talk about that a little. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's a it's a vague conversation. I think when you get into the details, but the big um, picture stuff is really you know taking us back to things that we often learned as children. You know that um, that we've forgotten literally, and some things that I think the construct of civilization, um, which is kind of where you you started on that, that turned its back on. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about for decades and probably centuries uh, trying to understand why human beings are so um, combative towards, you know, the environment. And I know it's not a popular conversation, but it's sort of... It's a necessary one. Yeah, why is, why is the European world just so destructive and extractive? Why has the white man destroyed the beauty of nature? You know, what, what is going on with this? Why are we so terrible? Um and I think it comes, you know, goes all the way back to the whatever those uh, evolutions were that led to this idea of, you know, leaving the Garden of Eden and that being a uh, kind of a, a good thing in the separation of humans from nature. Um, is Do you think it began there. with the construct of economy, gross, domestic product? Um, no, I mean, I, I think it probably goes back to... Um, you know, much more primal sort of fear-based reality where you're just trying to make it through. You know, the um, so one one totally armchair theory, I haven't seen any research on this, but, you know, human beings have been around two or 300,000 years as, as we are right now, anatomically speaking, modern human beings. And um, we're not sure when we left the tropics. They're not even sure exactly what the, the lineage is. But the Ice Age of the last million years didn't really end until about um, 12,000 BC, something like that, maybe 15,000 BC. And so there were people that had somehow made it up into Europe that were, you know, obviously from the cave paintings in France and so forth, um, that were trying to make it through this, you know, literally a millennia of freezing temperatures and not a whole lot of vegetation and, you know, an ice age, the thing that we're kind of afraid of might happen to us again. Um, so humans were trying to survive against climate extremes for hundreds of thousands of years, theoretically. Um, and also, of course, against just the extremes of survival itself, you know, the living, uh, without shelter on a full-time basis, without a grocery store, so on and so forth, you know, and, um, and civilization was the tonic to, to solve those basic problems. You know, it is in many ways a rejection of that instability or that insecurity and, and the creation of stability and so forth. And so and, I think so we've in other words, created we got, things like GDP because of that. Okay, you know? so maybe in other words, we've gotten too comfortable with the way things are. We've made it so easy for ourselves that we've forgotten how fragile it is. Yeah, or just that it exists at all, I think, you know, if that, and that we depend on it. The, the thing that has, one of the things that's been the most frustrating to me over the last few years is the convert, this idea that we just, you know, we'll just pack up and go to Mars. That really, and, really bothers me. <laughs> um, I've been watching this one show, One Strange Rock, and it's, it's a really great series uh, narrated by Will Smith. And I've watched all huh. of them, like 10 of them. But the yeah. one I cannot watch, it's based from astronauts. Uh, the speakers are astronauts and how they learn to respect Earth from being out there. And there's one astronaut that says our only way to survival is to do life on Mars. Um, That really bothers me because 
we have a perfectly good planet right here. I don't want to live on Mars. I don't want to live in a vacuum. I want to live with the beauty I can see outside my window and connect. So, Well, here's it, the thing. Also, if I may interrupt you. Is yeah. A, there's no way to survive on Mars. B, if you're going to figure out how to survive on Mars, then you'll have figured out how to survive on Earth. You <laughs> exactly. Know. But, you know, C, we have only one known biosphere in the entire universe that is going to hold uh, civilization and humanity. And um, and it's dependent upon the biosphere. Uh, the other, the sort of like big, I think, kind of conceptual piece that we need is that uh, biological productivity has to continuously be net positive. And that's been happening now for about 4 billion years. But if that shuts down like it did when the dinosaurs went extinct, you know, like it could do now, then you don't have a biosphere anymore. And that is where Mars is. That's where, you know, all the other planets in our solar system are. They don't produce anything biologically. They're just rocks. And that's the Earth that's not so special. That's the Earth without a biosphere. If we take it away, it'll just be a rock rotating around the sun, just like Mars, you know? If we go to Mars and try to kickstart a biosphere, I mean, I don't think anyone has done any kind of computational research on this, but the idea that we could pull it together in 40 years is just, like, unbelievable uh, that someone would say that. Well, not when we have uh, this time 60 to million do it here. Right. From, yeah, the last extinction to today. And that 60 million years had about roughly 4 billion years of, you know, development of biological material from which microbial material could create new organisms and so on and so forth, this process of, you know, net positive growth, that process has been going on for billions of years. So it's not like, you know, we can just go to some nearby planet and green it up. Right. You have to have soil. You have to have moisture cycles. You have to have an atmosphere. You have to have, you know, a, a constant climate. You have to have the interactions of all the other living things, the sum of the parts. You know, you have to have all of the parts to get a sum. And, uh, and as far as we know, maybe 3,000 light years away from here, there's a biosphere that's maybe like the one we have. That's, that's about as good as we've got right now. Well, I think anyway, what that's we've, what drives me crazy. It's one of those not nerdy things. It's one of those things that could easily be commonplace knowledge um, and should be and, and will be, I think, if we you know, talk again in seven years. Well, even if we talked again in a year compared to like a year ago, so much is rapidly changing. So what I'm seeing is we have diverse opportunities to change the way we look at this biosphere Earth and come about to climate solutions. So you started with your focus on uh, we need to reverse <coughs> tropical deforestation. So, and, and now you've expanded it, but how urgent right. is it? Because we yeah, keep and, talking about and, um, in terms of like 2020, 2050, and I often think that when we, we say things like that, that the human mind says, oh, I've got time. We're at a point where we have time only if we start working. But if we just sit and wait, we're, we're going to just be farther along the downward spiral. So... How urgent are the actions, and then we're going to get into what we can do. Okay, yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, this okay, is let's our, start with the 2016 global meltdown. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's one, one other um, nice point to make before we get into these unbelievable negatives that people are going to have to figure out how to process emotionally. Um, because they're going to continue, you know, for the time being. Um, but so the, the, the way out of this is to be very constructive, very positive, very, you know, literally creative to invest in life, to invest in ecosystems and their wildernesses, their biodiversity. That is the thing that we have made the most change to on Earth in the last 40 years. Um, the climate has shifted dramatically also but when you look at the total loss um, in that regard the response is grow it back you know bring back life put more life uh, we'll, we'll bring more life to earth than humanity has ever endeavored to do before but the uh, the urgency 
It, it could not be greater. And that's why I said a moment ago that um, I'm shifting from having a message that's primarily about tropical forests to having a message that's going to be, I think, about the, um, the idea of an economy of environmental stewardship at global scale. That uh, this is something you and I started talking about yesterday, that um, capitalism has hit a wall. And um, in order for civilization to succeed, much less continue, unfortunately, we've really got to develop um, an element of stewardship into the global economy at rapid, rapid radical scale. Um, and, and that, again, is, is a basic issue, a fundamental issue, not a, a, just a do-gooders kind of concern. Um, and so the, you know, the outlook on climate change, I've got – you can hear me, right, Ellie? Yes. Okay, good, because it broke up a little bit while you were talking. No, but, we're, we're good. Okay, um, I've got spreadsheets of bad news that just go on and on for days now. And I've been unable to keep up. Um, but since about uh, 20, August 2017, when the um, wildfires and hurricanes started to jump off in the United States, things have shifted into <clears throat> what I would say the worst of the worst case scenarios. So... Not only has California lost nearly 3 million acres of, uh, you know, including near your home, yep. of wilderness to uh, wildfire, not only was the um, August through October hurricane season last year the most expensive in U.S. history, um, somewhere around $300 billion in hurricane damage, um, but things like the... Uh, the AMOC, the the Atlantic uh, meridional, whatever it is, a thing that goes around uh, the oceans that keeps Europe from freezing, um, is shutting down. Um, You know, the the ice melts are happening at cataclysmic scale. Um, Coral reefs are on the absolute last legs um, and don't appear to be quite as uh, robust in some cases as we thought. In other cases, it's looking, you know, there is there is cause for hope in all of these things, except we're not really focused on doing uh, enough of what needs to be done to uh, sort of invoke better things from happening. But the, the Amazon has had three 1,000-year droughts in the last 15 years and um, is now under the thumb of a political machine that is literally burning the Amazon faster than it's ever been burned before, which means more carbon into the atmosphere. I I published a, um, and more dislocation of weather systems and more heat on the planet. That's one of the things, if we talk about the systemic climate solution, this paper that I have that uh, needs to be expressed and understood more is that the tropical forest system, just one of the many reasons it's so valuable to us anywhere on, on Earth, no matter where we are on Earth, is that it's our best land-based heat sink. Those, those canopies absorb heat like, you know, we've never seen. And, and, and we'll never, we can't, uh, we can't solar panel our way out of that one. You know, we so can't put up windmills to this, reduce heat gain at the equator. This, highlights, put, this highlights a question in me. Um, sure. Are we teaching the right things in school to kids and you know, preteens and teenagers in, in college. There's a gentleman called Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, who has done many videos that we're not teaching our children to be prepared for the world we're living in and that what they're coming out of higher education with is already obsolete when by the time they've graduated. So do you see a movement to get curriculum to focus on this more? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, if, if we get on the right track, it's inevitable that we will, um, you know, again, back to your point on success. If you kind of look at things through the lens of the biosphere, um, let's say first for now, not in the America first sense, but sort of in right. the, it's the only thing we know is the living system. You know, all of our ideas about religion and life and death and all these things 
they they wouldn't be here if we didn't have a biosphere. We wouldn't be able to have any ideas or arguments or anything. Well, see, to me, that's, um, that's so just such a no-brainer. It is, and yet it's it's not a part of the you know the fabric of civilization or education on any level. I think we teach it to children because it's such a basic, simple idea. But then we we never put it together. Really, we just sort of teach these fun you know pieces like uh, trees make oxygen. You know, um, but we don't ever put it all together that nothing else really does. You know, I mean, we we've got plankton and vegetation and trees, and that's the only way we get our oxygen. Everybody. You know, and when the last uh, 50 years we've destroyed um, about 50% of the old growth, maybe 80%, it's hard to say, but of the old growth tropical forests that were making the most oxygen, um, for instance. You know, so oops, we didn't realize we were doing that. We didn't realize, as you said, we were um, destroying this vital organ function at planetary scale. We were destroying the lungs of the earth, the, the oxygen, the best oxygen making resource other than global oceans, but the um, uh, the tropical forests cover, you know, now around 5% of the planet at best and make uh, somewhere in the range of a third of the oxygen for the whole planet. Wow. The oceans cover 71% of the planet and make, I believe, maybe 50% of the world's oxygen, you know. Wow. And, and, uh, and so... Yeah, it's like the vital organ analogy is really the right one. So the you know, patient is to be teaching our our kindergartners and our seniors in high school and our you know PhDs. So the patient, our biosphere, is in critical ICU distress and on the operating table, and we have to figure out what we can do. So yeah. this we need to take a break. So we're now understanding the huge scope of what we need to look at and include in our thinking processes. So we're going to take a quick little break here and we're going to come back and talk about those things that we can do. So rather than feeling hopeless, we can feel hopeful. <laughs> so stick with us Absolutely. and we'll, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, Chris Searles. So through the first half of this program, we uh, introduce you to Chris in that, you know, Earth is a frequency. It operates in a harmony along and within itself, and we are a part of that system. But our frequency is kind of on a discord with the frequency that the rest of Earth is operating on. So Chris has told us in the, the last section that patient Earth is in critical condition right now. And a lot of systems are either collapsing or on the tipping point. So, um, Chris, I'd like to talk a bit more about your paper and the uh, systemic climate solution because it's solutions-based and um, how people can get involved either through your website, through donating, and join into your Facebook page of what we can do to not only reorient our frequency to be more in line with the harmonic of the earth and and the beat of that drum, but what we can do that fills us with some hope. You know, not only large global scale, but on an individual level so that people feel that what they do does make a, a, a difference. And I realize it takes you know, the six degrees of separations and the 12th monkey to get everything to start to move in that direction. But we have the people. What do we do to build the momentum? Yeah, I I think there's so many things. Um, and I think the, um, again, the fundamental response is to be as positive and creative as in regenerative, you know, as possible. Um, And ecologically speaking, I think that the first priority is to protect um, the remaining old growth ecosystems that are the most productive. Um, And in general, all wildernesses, but we've already, we've grown so rapidly in the last um, 80 years. You know, 100 years ago, there weren't even 2 billion people on earth, by the way. That's been about, uh, let's see, 91 years now that there've been 2 billion people or more on earth. But anyway, that we are, we're protecting the old growth systems because they have the most value. The, the interesting thing that um, I spoke at my mother's uh, retirement community about two months ago, and uh, they love this point. The interesting thing about ecosystems is that, generally speaking, the the for the biodiverse ones, you know, the more the older and less disturbed they are, the more pure and elderly they are, the more valuable they are, the more they have to contribute to the rest of the world. And that, that's true in so many um, other cultural societies. The elders are valued. And right. this culture, our Western model, European model, values youth. And right. this, this just lit up a flag. I read an article the other day that about migrating herds, um, when they migrate and how they learn to migrate. They have to understand their habitat, their landscape, and learn it to understand what to use, when to use it, and where to go find it when they need to move on. And an interesting little tidbit was it takes a moose 90 years to figure out how to migrate and learn to migrate. It takes a deer 60 years. So here we are talking about elder people and your mother's community, elderly people, understand this. So somehow... We've got to get the youth, the millennial, to understand that the mountaintop isn't reachable automatically right now. You have to climb the mountain. So what are the mountains, what are some of the mountains that we can um, start climbing together that are are, are reachable? Yeah, well, to protect the old growth systems, and, and that's, that's the first priority, that's what the paper is about, and that's based on... Um, my question, um, back to my story, you know, after I was involved heavily in music, um, I decided to get heavily involved in what I would call being an environmentalist. And after 10 years of that, 
um, I wanted to know what's the most impactful solution on climate change? What's the most impactful solution to stop the extinction crisis? And I had never been a conservation person. I had never thought about World Wildlife Fund or any of these groups, you know, very much, even though I was heavily involved in the uh, lifestyle, the greening up your lifestyle side of things. I thought that light bulbs and solar panels and, you know, cool electric cars would would take care of everything. What I, uh, as in terms of a mountain to climb, I'd say that, you know, this conceptual shift is a big one for anybody, but especially young people that, as you said, technology is not the end-all be-all solution here. Um, it, life itself is the other piece. We've got to make uh, the biosphere as healthy as possible. I think um, we should look at, the biosphere is our life support system. Ecosystems are our life support systems, literally. You know, that's not a constant on planet Earth. The oxygen wasn't always here. And um, it could, that balance can change just as the carbon balance is changing so radically right now. So learning um, these kind of big ideas that, that we need the ecosystems, we need to treat them like we treat our kids. We don't look at our children as instruments of profit. But, you know, we don't raise them to make a profit. We we raise them and we try to give them the best possible experience and the best possible present and the best possible future. And if we're really exceptional people, we try to help them deal with whatever they're holding on to from their past, you know. Um, but we try to give our kids the best possible life we can, generally speaking. Everyone understands that. We need to do the same thing for our life support systems, no matter what age we are. And another kind of big conceptual piece to your point on about, you know, the elderly and the youth and so forth is that the thing about old growth ecosystems is that they're not literally decrepit, you know, they're not about to die. They're the most integrated. They have the most depth of uh, living vit uh, vi vital systems, living vitality. The, the energy of life itself is just coursing through these old growth wildernesses, particularly in tropical forests. Uh, and so when you're protecting that, you're protecting what's most productive, the thing that's doing the most for the entire planet. And, and you, you made a point here. You know, we talked about the capitalist model is <laughs> is dying and that it is. Or it's way, killing us. It, it's, it, it's, it's killing us and we're killing it. But if the point in one of your um, your paper is that is tropical forest restoration is way less expensive than, you know, technological solutions and addressing it the way we are through you know, mowing it down, clearing it, all for, you know, some idea of productivity. We're focused on the wrong kind of productivity. Yeah, that's right. Help us understand and what we can literally tangibly do when you say we need to protect these systems in the biosphere. Give us an example of what somebody could go do today. Well, okay, so if, if I overstep here, let me know, but I would go to the biointegrity.net website and go to the solutions tab. There's an example there. Uh, is this cool, Ellie, for me to Absolutely. Talk? Okay, great. So um, biointegrity.net forward, forward slash solutions, excuse me, um, has a project in Borneo that's a tropical forest needing uh, financial assistance uh, to be protected. And so there's a lot of information here about the value of this project. There's also a lot of photos, but again, biointegrity.net forward slash solutions. Um, and you can go to this particular thing and for uh, literally a few dollars, you can offset your carbon footprint um, for life by protecting this particular place, by helping to protect this particular ecosystem. Um, and I can get into that uh, and explain some of that, but- Please do. Uh, Okay, well, let me approach it from that being just one of the major benefits. So, as you said, it can be um, many orders of magnitude. An order of magnitude is, you know, a factor of 10. So, at least a thousand times more economically efficient, just in terms of emissions reduction to protect tropical forests, than to invest in technology. And again, the tropical forests are the non-negotiable part of life on Earth. Um, and that's that's the language that we need to um, bring into society. Um, but just from the standpoint of can I afford to do this or not, this place is $2 an acre. This is with an organization called Rainforest Trust. 
Uh, and so my webpage just recommends people to go directly to Rainforest Trust and make a donation to that organization for this specific project. So one of the things, you know, back to the idea of biointegrity being about um, helping the best solutions succeed as fast as possible, the groups that are doing the best work um, expand uh, what they're doing and, and succeed faster. This Rainforest Trust group is absolutely one of the best groups in the world. And they have a number of projects, and I try to direct people to the ones that have the biggest bang for the buck. And so this one, back to the carbon piece, um, this one for $6, if you protected three acres of this place, you would offset your carbon footprint for life. <clears throat> because it, it's um, tropical peat swamp forest and tropical rainforest. Um, and this, these are the two of the most carbon-dense ecosystems on the planet. So the peat systems are the thousands and thousands of years of vegetation that basically hasn't decomposed. It just sort of stacks up and more vegetation grows on top. The water is what keeps it from decomposing. If that is disrupted and dries out, then we release hundreds and hundreds of tons of CO2 per acre as those places are either incinerated um, for rapid release of that emission or just allowed to dry out naturally and, you know, a, a pretty quick release of that emission. So and, let me interject one second. So this lights up a question in my mind of Siberia and yeah. the melting that is going there and exposing the, um, the peat cover. And also this might be way too much of a, a tangent to go off on the um, rewilding project of bringing back the mastodons and all of that to recreate an ecosystem of the Pleistocene and grasslands. You know, trees are important, but grasslands, the savannas and our Great Plains areas are also, you know, critical habitats, wildness, wild areas that um, living systems are intact. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the biological integrity of the whole planet needs to, in, in my humble opinion, based on a ton of research, needs to be rebuilt, needs to be reconstructed by civilization as fast as possible. And we have to do it um, in a way that integrates with the built human world. And, um, and so that's why, you know, I think we need these big picture perspectives, biointegrity or um, biological integrity is... To me, I can't think of a more ultimately defining aspect of the experience of living than that. Um, and so, you know, back again to um, the sort of introductory thematic point, um, you know, we, we must focus, come what may, we must focus on our biosphere. Um, the climate system is changing. Um, whether we're talking about grasslands or um, Arctic tundra, um, we need to be thinking in both a planetary um, systemic way about the biosphere and also in the local ways that, you know, all of these wildernesses were just fine until a few hundred years ago. And, um, you know, it's shifted so radically. The, the best way to understand that, you know, we, we've, we've got something like, um, I mean, grasslands are really hard to find right now at any scale because the temperate climate zones are where, humanity um, has developed the most. And that's a, starting to happen, or that is happening now in the tropics. The problem with the tropics is if that goes, that um, is the biological core of the planet. Somewhere in the range of 90% of global biodiversity is just in the tropics. Wow. Between the, the grasslands of the tropics, the coral reefs of the tropics, and then primarily tropical forests. About half of the entire planet's biodiversity is in tropical forests meaning rainforests, dry rainforests, uh, peat swamps, um, mangrove forests, all the forest systems that are in the tropics contain about at least half of the biodiversity on Earth. Um, so, um, yeah, the grasslands are super important. They don't have um, as much of an impact as the tropical shift is, is having and is going to have. But um, restoring wilderness is really the key element here because this, this idea that ecosystems are like vital organs, we've got to have um, ecosystems that are strong and connected and, and vital and productive. And when we eliminate, um, whether it's, you know, I'm not sure mastodons coming back is a good idea, but when we eliminate um, apex predators, obviously that has a, um, 
pretty quick impact on the the way an ecosystem balances and so on and so on, up and down the scale. You take out the microbial community of an ecosystem and that ecosystem will die. So we've really got to start thinking um, and doing um, with a, um, again, a very regenerative mindset. But, but this, you know, we shouldn't be just trying to stop deforestation. We should be trying to reverse it and, and we should be reversing it. And we should be reconnecting the uh, vitality of the planet, the biological productivity of the planet from uh, equator to poles. So and, part of uh, what you're, you're saying here is so many people, you know, on social media, <laughs> they um, are so full of despair that it's already gone. And that's typically an urban Western mindset because they're not out there in, in the rural areas, let's say like I am or Africa or India or Borneo. So we tend to see that it's all gone already. And then we look through a virtual window at um, nature documentaries and go, oh, how pretty, but we feel disconnected from that. So what you're, I think what you're helping us to understand is rather than look at it from this despairing attitude that it's gone, so why bother? There's still core critical functions that are here and if we restore it not only support them now but further restore them and stop any more from being converted to something else then we can start turning this around now that's right yeah it, can i give you a couple of quick examples please do you know if if we were to stop the incineration of tropical forests today we would reduce global greenhouse gas emissions um, with, over the next 365 days an additional 10% or so just from stopping the burning and incineration of our uh, most productive life support systems. If we were to get serious about reforestation, and you know, there are some uh, big picture thinking is starting to pop up more and more. So there's something now that's being proposed for the Sahara I haven't had a chance to look at. But but if we were really, you know, your, your point, uh, your fundamental point about this being the biggest time for opportunity, if we were really to look at climate change and uh, biospheric loss um, in a solutions mindset, you know, we might be saying, well, shoot, what can we do with the Sahara? What can we do with these vast um, non-productive regions that are making our problems worse, <laughs> can we turn that around? Can we turn that into uh, in another aspect of the tropical forest system is that it balances uh, moisture flow at atmospheric scale on the planet. It's a, it's a co-determining element for your local weather and for drought systems and for freezes and for, you know, essentially the same impacts that come from warming, um, the atmosphere and the, the oceans and putting more moisture into the atmosphere come from tropical deforestation. When you, you incinerate those ecosystems, they release a ton of moisture into the atmosphere <clears throat> and they're no longer there to provide that service of heat reduction and they're no longer there to provide that service of uh, circulating moisture around the belt of the equator, which is part of what they do that has everything to do with our, our weather and our, our rate of global warming and productivity. and. Wow. At biological scale on the planet. Yeah, so I mean, they really are the most concentrated and most multifaceted ecosystems in terms of value uh, on the planet, and we're burning them down right away. So if we if we were to, I mean, right now, if we were to stop that, which is a complicated solution, <clears throat> but if we were to stop that, we would get this emissions gain, uh, and we would stop the most destabilizing thing we're doing to the weather systems and the climate system and the heat reduction system of the planet. Um, if we were to get serious about the creative aspects and see this as an opportunity for um, restoring the biosphere in ways that make the most sense for the biosphere, first and foremost, you know, and then everything that is built on top of that, um, we could probably reduce global greenhouse gas emissions around, and there's plenty of argument about this, but around 50% a year. Um, based on the year, I think it's 2013 or 2012, somewhere in there. Wow. Um, well, for for uh, decades, as the forests grow back, we could we could literally uh, probably eliminate half of the emissions on our planet that are coming out of tailpipes and smokestacks and so forth. 
by wow. growing back the biological productivity and the weather security and the and the climate, the biological core of the climate system. Wow. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time today just as we're really getting into this. So I'm <laughs> hopeful that we can continue this conversation in further episodes. Thank you. Me too. Me too. Uh, all right. So, but today we've gotten um, a really good understanding of where we are and what we need to do. And once again, look up Chris Searles and his paper, The Systemic Climate Solution. Go to his website and see what we can do. And uh, thank you, Chris, for your time. Thank you, Ellie. And yeah, if, if people are now freaked out and want to do something meaningful, go to that Solutions tab, support that Rainforest Trust project, put in $10, put in $100, put in, you know, help that project succeed, and, and you will do more with those dollars than you can do with any technology, any known technology. So there we have it, friends. We have a solution. You can do that today. And otherwise, uh, get out and step into our wild world. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Oh, 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 o